Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Good morning, church. Let's have our Bibles open to Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to be looking at those verses 14, 15, and 16 here in just a moment. If you're visiting Christ Church, my name is Mark. I get to be one of the ministers here, and we're glad you're with us. We're in a three-week series called Amen, and we're focusing on prayer. It's, it's what God does in us as we pray. This is less about a formula for how to pray than it is the impetus as to why we pray. So we just want to encourage you, but I don't want you to miss the connection. I want you to understand that the series we've been doing since January have, have been tightened together for a, a similar theme. If you disconnect this particular series from the series we just did on the fruit of the Spirit, and what we learned in that series is we don't generate the fruit of the Spirit. It's not by trying harder or acting nicer. It's actually the transforming work of God in us that produces the fruit of the Spirit that allows us to live with joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and so forth. That these are the things that God does that shows that we are growing in Christ as we find our completeness in Christ. This series called Amen about the impetus to pray is not simply now this is what we do because of that. Prayer, I believe, is actually another fruit of the Spirit. It's the connectivity between ourselves and God that produces a connection with Him that is one of the challenges for all of us. You see, prayer is, if you've ever tried to have a season of prayer, you realize it's not easy. It comes with distraction. That instantly when you think you should pray, there's either several responses we get. We either feel shame because we don't pray enough, or we, we feel inadequate, or if we dig down deep inside, and I think it's okay we can say this, sometimes we just don't want to. When Two weeks ago, when Drake Holderman was preaching on self-control as a fruit of the Spirit, he talked about the disciplines that we need in our lives, the, the things that we need to say no to so we can say yes to better things. Prayer is one of those challenging things for us. And as we center ourselves on the gospel, this tricky phrase we use, as we choose to focus our minds and our hearts and our efforts toward the completion of the gospel in us, it will allow prayer to become something that God uses in us and creates a desire for. Or if I can say it this way, our understanding of the availability of God will reveal the size of our gospel. I want you to think about that with me. When we understand the availability of God and focus on the good news of the gospel message, we will move beyond salvation as the gospel and realize that there is more that God brings us than just saving us. It's not just a one day I'll be saved, but it's actually things like prayer and community and the church that God gives us as gifts 
that allow his kingdom to be known now. So the size of God's availability will indicate the size of your gospel. I believe prayer is a sign of a spirit-led life. It's, it's there because the spirit is the one who leads us into it. And as we learned last week, the spirit entices us to pray. The spirit connects with us as we pray. And the spirit will testify to our testimony in our prayer. He will amen our amen. Uh, Tony Evans, who preaches in Dallas, says, Dr. Evans has a line where he says, prayer is your passport to a place you would never find on your own. And I hope this morning that you're encouraged in this. I'm not going to give you what to do. I'm just going to give you reasons why you'll want to do it and why you'll connect with God in this way. But often to define what something is, you have to define what it isn't. So give me a moment to do that. Prayer is simple. It's talking with God, but it's not easy. Prayer is simple. It's listening to God, but it's not easy. Prayer is a discipline, but it is a rewarded discipline. Prayer is challenging because we go from the human nature to the spiritual nature. We're being transformed from within. God is doing a work in us and our physicality, our human flesh fights against things of the spirit. We know that's what the Bible teaches. Remember Jesus in the garden on the night he was betrayed when the disciples were falling asleep? He said, can't you stay awake one hour with me? He said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So we need to acknowledge the fact that prayer is simple, but it's not easy. It takes a discipline. It it takes saying no to some things to say yes to greater things. This letter that we're going to be taking these three verses out of this morning, the Hebrew letter, was written to people like us, people who had professed faith in Christ but had found themselves drifting or being drawn away or falling asleep or losing the impact of the gospel. They knew the gospel truths, but centering on that takes effort. It takes work. It takes openness. The author's message in the Hebrew letter is to press on, to not quit, don't stop, don't retreat. Hold on. Listen to these words again in verses 14 through 16 of Hebrews 4. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. In verse 14, he says, hold firmly to faith. Hold firmly to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Hold firmly to that voice, to that impetus, to that presence. Don't let that go easily. Center yourself in the gospel and receive what God intends for you to receive. And then in verse 16, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence. See, prayer is a privileged relationship that goes beyond salvation. It goes to relationship. It goes to connectivity. Prayer is not a lucky rabbit's foot that we rub to get God to do what we want him to do. It's not a ritual. It's not a job to be done. It's a natural part of who we are connected to God. It's that responsiveness. That's why Paul would tell the early church, pray without ceasing. Now, many of the things you and and I all learned when we were young and growing up in our faith, the way we pray, we were very much taught posture, right? Close your eyes, bow your head, fold your hands. None of those things are bad, but you don't find any of that regulated in Scripture. 
Prayer is a conversation. It's a relationship. It's an awareness. It's an identification. It has so many things more than the way we posture ourselves or the words that we use. In Matthew chapter 6, if, if you allow me to give you a paraphrase, we'll talk about it next week. But in Matthew chapter 6, when Jesus is explaining prayer to his disciples, he has very, very clear directives. Listen to him. When you pray, don't be like hypocrites. They love to stand in public places being acknowledged for their prayers. In order to be seen, they have the reward they were after. But when you pray, go into an inner room, and your heavenly Father, who sees in secret, will see you, and he will reward you. But when you pray, don't use meaningless words, supposing that your prayers are formed by the words you use. You think about the paraphrase of that, and Jesus is very clear, right? He's taken away many of the things that you and I thought we were taught to do. So let's define something by what it isn't. Prayer is not performance art. You don't have to con God with sincerity. You you don't have to play God up. You don't have to butter God up to do this. Prayer is simply developing a relationship that God gave you with him through Jesus. Prayer is waiting on God. Remember, this is all what we learned about the Holy Spirit. As God does his work in us, we receive. Prayer is waiting on God. Prayer is trusting in God's character. Prayer is surrendering our will to his. This is my favorite definition of prayer. Prayer is a Sabbath moment in the middle of a busy day. A Sabbath is when we surrender control, when we do nothing. We have a God who tells us, as one of the Ten Commandments, I want you to to spend one day doing nothing each week to remind yourself that the sun's still going to rise and the sun's still going to set, the plants are going to grow, the rain is going to come or not, all of this is going to take place and you have nothing to do with it. Sit back and wait. Even sleeping at night is surrendering to our limitations, knowing that if we don't sleep, we fall apart. Prayer is a communication with God. It's not about how we do it. It's not what words we say. It's about giving him ourselves. Remember our definition of prayer for this series is prayer comes from the heart of a child through faith and trust in the heart of a father through the gift of the son by the power of the spirit. It is a connection with the Trinity. Prayer is a triune relationship with God. So we define it the way the author does. Prayer is drawing close to the throne of grace. It's just drawing near. Prayer is materially expressing, I need you, Lord. I want you, Lord. I can't do this, what you've given me. You see, I want us to realize that when we say that it is the the heart of a child reaching out to the heart of a father through faith and trust, through the work of the son, that I want you to see that one of the gifts Jesus gave us beyond salvation is the ability to connect with God and how significant this is comparatively. In John chapter 15, Jesus told his disciples, without me, you can do nothing. Outside of me, you can do nothing. And I believe that he's even instructing them while he's praying that you and I can't pray if it's not connected to the work of Jesus. And I'll show you what that means. So what we're going to do is, I want to show you some things about Jesus found in this passage that I hope you can celebrate today and cherish so that it will be the guiding principle by which you enter into prayer. So let's begin. Jesus is unique in his person. Duh, right? So we got dressed up on a Sunday morning. It doesn't surprise any of us, but let me show you the significance of it. 
It says right there in verse 14, he's called Jesus the Son of God. Jesus, his human identification, Son of God, his deity, his divinity. Now, you and I can read this so much that we think kind of like, you know, the Christ is his last name, right? Jesus the Christ, you know, Mark the Christian, right? That's how it works. And so when we see that, we just gloss over that because we're familiar with it. But please understand, this is a proclamation, not a designation. A proclamation of his humanity and his divinity. It's identifying uniquely how he is different than all the rest of us. You might even remember the angels crying out on the night that he came to us. For unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given. Why would they say the same thing? Because it's not the same thing. Unto us a child, his humanity. Unto us a son, his divinity. So it is being announced that what Jesus brought to us was something so unique. He was unique in his position. Look at verse 14. Since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven. Now I know as a pastor and as a teacher, the minute I start talking about there being a high priest, most of us tune out for a few minutes and all we really think is, I'm grateful we don't have to deal with all that nonsense. But let's celebrate something about the high priest so we don't lose the joy and the beauty of what's being said here. The high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and represent us to God. Think about that with me. The holy priest, or the high priest rather, would go into the Holy of Holies with an animal sacrifice, the blood of an animal sacrifice in our place, and he would go in and he would represent the sinful people to the holiness of God. That's what a high priest did. And the high priest could do this once in their lifetime, once in a year on the Day of Atonement. And that's a whole different concept, but there's so much theology in the Day of Atonement that we dismiss as New Testament people that really undercuts our understanding of theology. So in the midst, you have this priest representing us to God, and it says here that we have a great high priest who's uniquely positioned, and don't miss it, not only does he take us by his blood into the Holy of Holies and represent us to God, but he ascends to the Father. You see, our great high priest does something different than a normal high priest. A normal high priest would represent us to God. Our high priest not only represents us to God, but he represents God to us. His incarnation showed us God's love, his caring nature, his mercy, and his faithfulness in a tangible way. You see, when he's called Jesus the Son of God, it's designating how unique he is to the rest of us. And his role was unique to every high priest. His position, that he was not inhibited by ascending to the Father. He was not inhibited by space, time, or sinful flesh. He bridges a gap for us as high priests that no other high priest could ever do. Every other high priest served one time in their lifetime and then they all died. Our high priest serves daily, once and for all, the perfect sacrifice, bridging us to God and God to us. Church, this is why we pray in Jesus' name. That's not how you close the call. You know how you close a Zoom call? We good? You good? I'm good? Hang up. As quick as you can, right? Because you don't want to be the last one to hang up on Zoom because then you feel like, oh, bummer. Right? Well, how do you hang up with God? In Jesus' name, amen. And it's like one word, right? I, I want you to do something. I know this is weird. Just hang with me. When you brush your teeth tonight before you go to bed, I want you to realize that subconsciously you chose a long time ago where you're going to start brushing your teeth. Just hang with me. 
I want you to picture yourself brushing your teeth right now. Where do you start? I guarantee you, you have started on the same tooth for the last 15 years. And you didn't even think about it. It's just one of those things. It's like when you drive home and you don't remember driving home, but you safely arrive in your garage and you're like, huh, I can do that with my mind closed. When you brush your teeth, you start on the same tooth. It's proven. We, we shortcut a lot of decisions because we just make them second nature and we do them without thought. Now, here's what I want you to do. When you brush your teeth tonight, please do. And when you do brush your teeth tonight before you go to bed, I want you to start in a completely different side of your mouth and watch you jack your life up. You will not fall asleep easily tonight because you'll have to tell your hand, right or left hand, when you brush your teeth, start in the bottom row, start in the bottom row. And your body's like, I never start on the bottom row. And then you'll realize why you're you. It will mess with your mind to change your habits. Well, if you shave, shave your armpit, shave your legs, shave your face, whatever, start in a different spot tomorrow. You may cut your head off because your arm has been taught, no, I just start here mindlessly. What am I trying to teach you? You want to mess with your prayer life? Instead of ending your prayer in Jesus' name, how about you begin with it? Show your credentials before you start. Sit in the presence of God and say, it's only by the good name of Jesus Christ that I can say these things. You want to change your prayer life? Change your habit. And for some of you, if you want to change your prayer life, start a habit. Enter into this as the privilege that Jesus gave us when he ascended to the Father. He not only represented our sin before the Holy God, he's now representing the Holy God back to our reclaimed lives. That's why we pray in Jesus' name. We used to have a, a pop fridge in our garage in Michigan, and we were kind of the neighborhood house based on Heather's Mother of the Year award every year and being a great person of hospitality. She would always load this refrigerator with pop and, and Gatorade and water, and the kids in our neighborhood would play in our yard, they'd play in our backyard. I was the all-time pitcher quarterback. I was younger, and I could do this. And I would hang out with these kids, and Heather would always say, hey, help yourselves to the refrigerator in the garage. We had a little boy across the street who was um, kindly, let's call him a pistol. The kid was, he was a treat. God loved him and I was learning, okay? And his name was Harrison. And Harrison was something else. I mean, I'm sure he's running the world right now, but when he was a kid, I didn't think he'd make it that long. And one time, I, and Harrison was intimidated by me and I knew it and I have to be honest with you, I kind of enjoyed it. Uh, he needed to fear something and if I was it, great. And I remember one time coming into the garage as he was opening our pop fridge and he was grabbing a blue Gatorade and I walked and he dropped the Gatorade when he saw me. He was in my garage, in my refrigerator. I came out and he was like, oh, it's Mr. Christian. And he dropped the Gatorade and I said, what are you doing? And in one word, without a breath, he said, Alex said I could. Now let me interpret that. He said to me, your son allowed me to grab one of your beverages from your garage. But he didn't believe what he was saying. Because he dropped the Gatorade. And I looked at him and I said, blue's my favorite color. And he panicked. <laughs> and I was like, Harrison, I don't drink Gatorade. Knock yourself out. You can have one of those. He said, Alex said I could. I said, if Alex says you can, you can. Why do we pray in Jesus' name? It wasn't because we're good enough. It's not because everybody does it. It's not a We get to pray because Jesus said we could. It's by his permission. What a gift. So when you say to yourself, I don't know, I don't really know if I want to pray, remember what it took to provide you this gift beyond salvation, his blood, his life. It's not a guilt thing. What a beautiful privilege. He's unique in his passion. So it's not only his position, but he's unique in his passion. Look at verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, Yet he did not sin. 
You see, he's comparing us to the high priest that served one time. And it even says, if it, you can look at it, but in chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, it actually compares Jesus to the old high priest who could only do it one time. And first of all, they had to, they had to appeal to God for their own sin before they could appeal for ours. And he says, we have a high priest who doesn't have to appeal to his own sin. He, death does not own him. There's no pen, penalty on him. So he gave his goodness for our lack of. And he offers us this life. And it says that he understands. God came in the flesh to sympathize with us. But don't be mistaken. When it says that he came in the flesh to empathize or sympathize with us, don't think for a second that we taught God anything by his coming here. Sometimes we might think, well, you know, God had to leave the glory of heaven to come to earth so he could understand what we go through. No, no, no. We didn't teach God anything. He taught us everything. He did not come to learn how to be human. He came to show us how to be human and love God anyway. He told us how to say, not my will, but yours be done. Andrew Wilson, who's quickly becoming one of my favorite theolo uh, theologians, not that I have like 20, okay, but he's in my top three. He wrote this recently, and I'd like to paraphrase. He says, imagine all of humanity had a committee to establish what God would have to go through to understand us. The poor would say he should be homeless, frequently hungry, and constantly moving from place to place without a home of his own. Bereaved people would say he should lose a parent and perhaps a very close friend in his lifetime. Holocaust victims would insist he be Jewish and understand persecution at that level. Those who lived in occupied territories, he should live his entire life in subjection to a brutal empire. Outcasts would insist that he have major uh, social stigmas applied. Maybe he was illegitimate or considered to be a drunk or possessed by demons. Abused people would demand to understand what they went through. He'd have to face physical violence, ritual humiliation, abandonment, and betrayal by those closest to him, and those who did it would not be punished. And Wilson says, I don't know what you would throw in. Maybe never having, ch been, having children or having been married. Maybe being murdered in his prime, or perhaps facing extended torture and slow death. Maybe those who had felt the silence of heaven like Job would add that to the list or form the most profound, wide-range suffering imaginable. Then and only then, humanity might say, could God be regarded as being able to understand our suffering? Sound like anyone you know? What the world would assume, that God would need to understand what it is to be human in this world, Jesus faced every battle, he fought every one of them to the end, and in each and every moment he taught us, not thy will or my will, but thine be done. He is a sympathetic high priest, one who cares to strengthen us rather than to judge us. So Jesus did not come that we would teach him anything. Jesus came that he would experience our experience and show us how to live faithfully through it all. It even says that he lived among us. He tabernacled. He, he pitched his tent with us. He chose to live in our neighborhoods. He chose to live in our spaces. He chose to live in our limitations. In the cold of winter and the humid days of summer. He chose to live without all the conveniences we have. He lived the human life and in every single moment he chose to say to God, thy will be done. He came to teach us with great passion what it means to trust God in all things. His person, his position, his passion, and he's unique in his provision.
Look at verse 16. This is where I want to be. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. The word approach there in the New International Version here is not my favorite translation. My favorite translation goes back to the New American Standard and even back to the old King James Bible. Draw near. It's an invitation. It's not an obligation. To draw near is to come see me. This is what we used to say to our boys when they were little. In the good times and the bad times. If they were about to get in trouble, like if if one of them was about to cross the line with their mom, I would look at them and say, come see me. And they would drop their shoulders and pout and walk toward me. I'm like, I'm about to save your life. Come see me. And other times when something was good, like they didn't realize I had licorice next to me and I know they wanted some, and I'd like, come see me. And they'd be like, what? Don't ask what. Just come see me. And they would come and they'd get a treat. Right? It's that come see me is an invitation to be a part of the relationship that I valued with each of them. And it says here that you and I get to draw near to the throne room of grace, not the throne room of judgment. Church, are you with me? Now, if you're disconnected, come back. We're not invited into a throne room of judgment. We're not invited into the throne room of power or the room of authority or the room of an angry, just God. We're invited into a throne room of grace. Do you realize in the Old Testament, nobody got to do that? Nobody got to walk into the presence of God without an invitation from God, and they didn't get that invitation. A high priest had to go for him. Ask Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and Isaiah what happened when you were given a glimpse of the throne room of God. All of them ended on their face quivering for fear because their sinfulness was exposed, and they were guilty. You and I have the privilege that generations never had to walk into the throne room of what? Grace. Not judgment, not power, not condemnation. All of those things existed there. But through the gift of Jesus, you and I get to walk into the presence of God. We get to sit next to him as his child. He's inviting us to come see him. A privilege. And God has not lowered the bar of holiness. I often think of that story in the Old Testament. They'd, they'd taken, they, they took the Ark of the Covenant and they acted like it was a Lucky rabbit's foot. And they took it into battle thinking, well, if we have this here, we can't lose. And they lost. And they lost the ark. And for over a year, it was kept in other people's homes. And if they weren't followers of God, it didn't go so well. So finally, the people who had stolen it gave it back and said, get this thing out of here. So they went to get the ark and they started to bring it back. And you might remember they had it on a cart and it started to wobble. And this one dude who's just doing what every one of us would have done, being helpful, he reaches up and he touches the ark of the covenant and he is dropped dead. And I remember being a junior high kid going, well, that'll teach me never to help. (laughs) Try to do a good thing and you're going to die. Might as well do nothing, right? That became my motto for about 10 years. Until I realized that the truth was God had given them an understanding of holiness and they disrespected it. They didn't carry the ark the way they were told to carry it. They carried it the way they wanted to carry it. God has not lowered the bar of holiness so that you and I are more comfortable. He's made the bar of holiness Jesus, which is why you and I can enter in by grace rather than condemnation. It's a gift he's given us, a beautiful throne room. Why? So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. What did it cost Jesus to give us Prayer beyond salvation. What did it cost Jesus to allow you and I to draw near? Cost him everything. Cost him the glory of heaven. Cost him a good life on earth. Cost him peace and prosperity the way we define it. Cost him friendships, reputation, family. He sacrificed everything 
and gave his blood so that he would be not only a great high priest, but he would be a greater high priest who would ascend into heaven and bring God to us through his blood. That's why verse 16 says, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. I won't tell you this morning you have to pray. I will tell you you get to. What a privilege it is for you and I to have the attention of God, to offer ourselves back to him, and to connect. Because this is the work of the Holy Spirit in us, to transform us through even prayer, to seek the will of God over our own. Are you tired? Draw near. Are you frustrated? Draw near. Are you hurting? Draw near. Are you angry? Draw near. Ashamed? Draw near. You feel like quitting? Draw near. You disappointed with the way your life is going and how you've operated it? Draw near. Do you have needs? Draw near. Do you have weaknesses? Draw near. Do you have confusion? Draw near. Are you limited? Draw near. You need help? Church, do you need help? Draw near. We all do. Jesus said, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and he will open the door to you. Draw near to the throne of grace that you might receive mercy and strength in whatever you face. Remember, it's not the words that we pray that makes it prayer. It's the heart of a child by trust and faith turning to the heart of a father through the work of a son by the power of the Holy Spirit. Believer or unbeliever, draw near to God and receive the great gift of God himself through the work of Jesus our son. We're going to spend a moment in prayer. Draw near to your father. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.